Hello and welcome to Mind on the Matter. I'm Tuba Khan, currently a fourth year medical student at King's College London with a bachelor's degree in neuroscience from the University of Sussex. And I love dogs. Just thought I would throw that in there. This episode focuses on mental health conditions that can affect the older population. I'm chatting to Dr. Manny Bumra, who's nearly finished his training in general and old age psychiatry, and we cover issues such as social isolation and loneliness in the older population that has been aggravated by the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to dedicate this episode to my uncle who sadly passed away earlier this week, and to remind you that having a mental illness does not define you and it doesn't make you any less of a person. So Manny, tell us, what drew you into specialising in older age psychiatry? I think as, as a junior doctor, as an, as an F1 trainee, my first medical job was actually in a geriatrics post in a, in a general hospital. I really enjoyed that. I found that the moments you spend with an older adult were very, very rewarding. And I spent those kind of moments spending time getting to know the finer details you know, facts about their life, how they feel about being in hospital. And that kind of made me think about a career in old age psychiatry. Also, I mean, you get to really know your patients in a in a special way in, in, in old age psychiatry. Things tend to move a little bit slower than compared to CAMS, which is younger people or general adult services. So you actually find you have a little bit more time with your patients. I, I kind of think of it as a... Um, jigsaw puzzle so you kind of you're putting all of these pieces together to really get the full picture what a great jigsaw metaphor i'm definitely going to use that older age is a delicate term for many but medically we define it as being 65 and over so so most of the people i work with are over 65 there are a few cases though there are some exceptions to that where people below the age of 65 might have needs that are more suited to doctors and nurses working with the elderly. As an example, I currently work on an old age inpatient ward, and I also work with the old age home treatment team, which involves home visits. And right now, I actually have two patients on my ward in their 50s with early onset dementia. Really, really sad cases, you know, developing dementia at such, such an early age because their needs are more suited to the staff working on my ward so you know not just the doctors and nurses but occupational therapists and physiotherapists and social workers. Dementia is definitely a condition that a lot of people worry about as they age rightly so and I think we need a completely separate episode on it because it's such a huge topic. What mental health conditions from your experience are quite common in the older population? Anxiety and depression are probably the two biggest mental health problems you see in older people. Cognitive problems, so memory problems and, and dementia is also another another big mental illness that you see in older people. I think even um, alcohol and substance abuse problems can be common, but I think they're often underlooked and underdiagnosed. So that, that's something to kind of be aware of in, in, in this client group. And with these conditions, take depression, for example. Do they present differently in the older population compared to the younger? I think in, in older adults, depression can present quite differently. Working with older adults over the last year has suggested that some of the risk factors for older people might be different compared to working age adults with depression. So for example, some common risk factors for depression in the elderly include uh, physical health conditions, so long-term 
physical health conditions especially. So things like um, heart disease, COPD and diabetes, because the client group we work with are more likely to have these conditions. And they're also associated with depression. We, we do see that a lot more. But also other risk factors like loneliness and social isolation, things like loss and bereavement can um can be risk factors for, for depression in the elderly. And we do see that commonly, probably even more so in the last year. With the patients themselves, some common kind of signs and symptoms of depression that you might see are not eating and drinking and, you know, the loss of the appetite and weight loss, but also the self-neglect. So not taking care of themselves as much as they normally would. So the self-care goes down. I think that can also be compounded by loneliness and isolation because they might not have the um, support structures there to be able to kind of prompt them with things like um, food and then self-care, but also taking care of their own physical care. So, you know, things like not attending hospital appointments, you, you can see that as well. And that obviously has an impact on their physical health as well. And do you think there's more of a stigma around mental health in older people? I mean, we're talking about a generation that has survived World War II and only recently has it become more accepted in the younger generation? Yeah, um, I mean, I think in in general, you find that older people are are less likely to to come forward either to um, their GPs or to family or or even to mental health services to disclose that they are struggling or that they are having mental health problems. We know that the elderly more commonly see their GP for you know regular checks, but also physical health problems, but they are probably less likely to disclose any, any signs of mental illness. So these are really good opportunities for health professionals to check in and inquire about mental health, because I think you do find that they might be less likely to, to seek help and support. I think they come from a generation where it was very much chin up and get on with it. But obviously we know a lot more about mental health now. And as people are living longer now, we're seeing it more and there are problems that need to be addressed. I wanted to talk a bit about COVID-19 and social isolation. I know you mentioned it before. Our older population, particularly those in care homes, have been having to isolate on and off for almost a year now. We already know that loneliness is a growing problem. What impact do you think this will have? Yeah, completely. I mean, I think that the last year has been particularly difficult, not just for everyone, but more more so on older people. And that's for a number of reasons. So not just the impact of lockdown and restrictions, which has limited contact with, with friends and family, for example, but also shielding. A lot of um, people who are shielding are, are generally older people who are frail and more likely to have physical health conditions. So they are disproportionately affected by by lockdown restrictions and probably have quite minimal contact with with other people right now this you know this includes a loss of regular contact with family and then grandchildren even the death of, of friends and family members but also the um, loss of regular activities such as going to day centers which have been really helpful and have been you know an important part of a person's day-to-day life Can you think of any way that we can combat this and help older people who are socially isolated? I mean, the the clear, you know, the obvious thing is to really support strategies and ideas that would 
help to increase social support networks. I think that a lot of it's compounded by uncertainty about, you know, what restrictions are looking like and what things will be like in a couple of weeks and a couple of months. So perhaps clearer guidelines or earlier guidelines or frameworks from government might be helpful for for both older people and for their carers. But also having to think about, you know, I think we're all trying to live and work in this new normal, um, that how we describe it. So think maybe thinking about, you know, about innovative ideas where we can increase social support during these difficult times. I know that early on in the pandemic, about a year ago now, some of these in- initiatives included kind of simple phone contact. I know that Nowadays, video calls and virtual interactions are are really key. You know, many people haven't seen their families in a year. Continuing to utilize these, you know, these technologies or helping older people to understand and be able to use these these video and virtual technologies can can be really useful. On my ward, recently we had a patient with dementia and he hadn't seen his wife in a long time because um, his wife was in a care home. And as we know, care homes are particularly prone or vulnerable to to the effects of of COVID. So many care homes have actually stopped visitors or, you know, stopped interactions or have severely limited those. So with this gentleman, we were able to facilitate some video calls between him and his wife who's in the care home that, you know, provided some kind of support and reassurance and strategies and simple things like that can be really helpful. That's so lovely that you were able to do that and I completely agree. I think we need to use technology as much as we can, even though it's not the same as being in person. It's the closest thing that we have right now. During the first lockdown, I found a charity called Omega, which was actually near me in a local area, and I started volunteering for it. So it's called the Chatterbox Against Loneliness Programme, and it's a telephone befriending initiative. And what I realised is that it really adds to my life as much as it does the wonderful lady that I call. And I wanted to mention it because I know that a lot of older people don't want to accept help because they want to remain independent. But I think programs like this are not just supporting them, but actually enriching society as a whole because we're all benefiting from this social interaction. And I would really encourage everyone to do it if you feel like you have the time because you're learning about someone's life, which is enriched with experiences. And it does change the way that you then perceive things. Completely. I mean, that, that sounds amazing what you're doing right now. It sounds like it is very rewarding. I, I think that there can be a separation between the older people and, and younger generations. So schemes like this are amazing at being able to connect them both so that we all understand more about the difficulties and older people are experiencing and the impact of, of loneliness and, and COVID currently. So initiatives like those are, are really useful. Yeah. Did you see that documentary? I think it was called Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. I'll try and find the link for it and put it with my podcast. So it was where an old people's home became a shared nursery. Okay, no, I didn't. It was a few years ago, I believe. And what they did was, it was an experiment where they placed these four-year-olds in care homes with older people and it acted as their nursery. So there was this interaction between these older people and younger people. And by the end of it, they showed that 
some mental health conditions like anxiety and depression had reduced in the older people in the care homes and I'm sure at the same time the younger people learned a lot of valuable life lessons. Do you think that after Covid this is something that could be trialled and maybe even made the norm? I mean I think that sounds incredible and that would be yeah that would be really interesting to to do. We know that social interaction has a direct impact on reducing loneliness and isolation and that many people in care homes experiencing that so interesting things like this that also would probably benefit the the younger younger kids doing that would be would be really fun just connect different groups of society that otherwise might not have connected before hopefully they will try it again in the future i just wanted to point out as well that we've been talking about loneliness and There's a distinction between being alone and being lonely. A lot of people can live their lives, rightly so, very happy being alone. But the danger is then when it turns into loneliness or if it does turn into loneliness. And I think with older people, because a lot of them go through bereavement, because they've lost someone, there is a danger there that it can then turn into loneliness. And I now digress with a thought that's just popped in my head for something that I wanted to ask you. When lockdown first happened and we were told not to leave our homes, the people in care homes who maybe lacked capacity, and when I talk about capacity, I mean the ability to use and understand information to make a decision for yourself. You also have to then communicate back the information and understand the pros and cons, that's how it's measured. So for some people who have been deemed to lack capacity, And for example, in care homes, if they're not allowed to even leave their room, but they haven't really consented to agree to this, what bit of law does that come under? Does that come under the Mental Capacity Act, the Mental Health Act, or obviously public health law as well? Probably a combination of all of them. But I don't know if any thought has been given to these people who may not understand what's been going on and therefore cannot give their true judgment on what they do and what they don't want to do? Very interesting question. So I know that with isolating people when they're actually testing positive for COVID, that is a kind of public health measure. So that would come under government law, I would understand. And with older people that lack capacity to make decisions about their care, we might need to act in not just their best interest, but also other people's best interest by ensuring that they are isolated. If they don't have COVID, I'm not sure what, you know, what the legal situation would be for that. That would be quite a tricky decision. I know that wouldn't come under mental health law because Broadly, mental health law relates to the assessment and treatment of somebody's mental health. So if if anything, this would fall under mental capacity law. Largely with mental capacity, you have to assess what's in a patient's best interests. And that includes balancing the benefits and the risks, not just to the person, but also to other people. So I I think that would need to be really closely considered taking into account the beliefs of the individual, possibly individual's family, but also the needs of the others and and the public. So things like that can be really tricky. It's so difficult. And I think with capacity, it's always a grey area where, as a healthcare professional, you're always trying to work in the best interest of the patient. But there's always the question, I guess, of how do you distinguish between a bad decision and actually someone who lacks capacity, who 
can't make a good decision, if that makes sense. We assume that people who lack capacity can't really make a good decision, but who knows if without this condition that they have that affects their capacity, maybe they would still make the same decision. How is this affecting vaccinations if someone can't consent to have a vaccination? Right now, as we're undertaking the vaccination programme, we have many patients who are eligible for the vaccine but might not have capacity to consent to accepting the vaccine. So on on my ward we have had cases where taking into account the patient's wishes but also taking into account their family's wishes we have proceeded to vaccinate a few individuals where it's deemed that vaccination would be in their best interest you know when they're not deemed to have capacity to consent but on the other hand there have been a few cases where they clearly do lack capacity to consent and when we have approached them about vaccination they have clearly refused citing different reasons such as they don't need it or they don't like injections and in those cases those are a lot more tricky because we are thinking about not just their health but also public health to be vaccinate these individuals when they lack capacity but they're also expressing a desire to not have the vaccination in those cases we we, we, we haven't proceeded because we felt you know on the balance of risks it probably wouldn't be in their best interest when they're refusing vaccination but in other cases the balance would favor them towards being vaccinated so you you have these tricky discussions and and challenges when within the light of covid in, in terms of capacity coming up yeah what are the main points that you want people to remember after listening to this i i think some of the key things that that came up today were that mental health problems are common in the elderly and often underdiagnosed which means that they're not treated but i think Working in the last year with older people in the era of COVID has kind of made their needs more apparent to not just health systems, but the, the public. So I think I think it's up to all of us to really do our bit and ensure the, you know, the health and well-being of, of older people. Because as we know, we are an aging population, so this will become more and more of a challenge as the years pass. I would, yeah, I would advocate working in, in, in older psychiatry and working with older people because it is such a rewarding field. And I think now more than ever with, with the challenges that the world is facing. If, if anything, what COVID and lockdown has done is just at the minimum increase discussions about mental health. And even that as a minimum is, is going to be beneficial to society. Definitely. I think the first step is acknowledging mental health issues. But I don't know if you've heard people talk about the mental health crisis that we are worried that might hit us after COVID. Yes, I think that's something that's been spoken about and there there are some concerns about that happening. And I think early data filtering through has shown that mental health problems and presentations, especially to emergency services, have have been increasing. It's, It's a challenging time working in mental health across all fields, but also really interesting and and rewarding time. And maybe on the plus side of Covid, if we are more aware of mental health issues, 
in ourselves and also in other people like the older population. This will actually give us a leg to stand on as everything opens up again. Thank you so much, Manny. This has been super interesting. Thank you for having me. There are a few times where you sound a bit like a robot, but I'm not sure my editing skills are good enough to do anything about it. I'll make sure to put up the links of Omega Chatterbox and a few other befriending programs that I can find that do a similar thing. Make sure to follow my Instagram for updates motm.podcast and before you ask no it does not stand for man of match <laughs>